Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about ballot collections, otherwise known as ballot harvesting. We'll break down what this practice is, where Arizona stands on it, and what it means for your vote in 2020. Here to talk about ballot harvesting with us is Mary Jo Pitzel and Andrew Oxford. Thanks for coming on, you two. You bet. Thanks for having me. So, Mary Jo, you covered ballot harvesting as it was winding its way through the state legislature. What is it? So-called ballot harvesting or ballot collection is um, the practice of having an individual or a group collect many people's ballots and returning them to the polls. This evolved because of Arizona's early voting law where people get their ballots by mail. They tend to sit on them. They forget to take it, put them in the mail in time to get it back to the polls. So you have to take it in personally. You know, so along comes this service um, or this kindness from people to offer to take other people's poll ballots to the polls. Why is this issue back in the news again? Well, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals knocked the ban down that Mary Jo was just talking about. They did this just a few weeks ago. You know, when it was passed, it kicked off a lawsuit by Democrats who argued that it violated the Voting Rights Act. And it wound through court. A district court judge upheld it. The Court of Appeals said no, it violates the Voting Rights Act on a few different levels. They said that banning ballot collection in Arizona was a you know, disproportionately affected Black, Hispanic, and Native American voters. They also said that it was a ban enacted with discriminatory intent. They said it was a ban passed with the intention of trying to disenfranchise voters because of, you know, who they vote for, where they live, you know, all of which violates the Voting Rights Act. And while we could probably expect this to be fought up to this, the U.S. Supreme Court, it's kind of unclear where this case is going to go from here. Voting is a fundamental right in this country, and it's important to our democracy that um, people are able to exercise that right. The ACLU of Arizona opposes HB 2023 because it criminalizes efforts to encourage voting and because it may infringe on the First Amendment right, on protected First Amendment right activities. So the most important thing you can do today is pass 2023 and move this thing forward. I mean, you've got to have your integrity of your elections. We should enforce the current fraud provisions in the law and not create another felony. Okay, so give us a sense why ballot harvesting is so contentious. Why has this thing got people so worked up? Um, a lot of it stems from back in 2012. Here's a quick history. In 2012, um, during uh, the election, a, a, a Latino advocacy group went out and they collected a lot of people's ballots. And then they returned them to the county elections office, which conveniently has cameras. And the image was captured of a man returning a big box full of ballots. Um, some people were very alarmed at that. They they thought this was a, you know, a way to fraudulently, you know, present ballots. They also questioned how many might have been lost along the way. Um, that led to legislation the following year that banned this practice of collecting multiple ballots. 
you know, lots of chaos ensues, a challenge ensues, legislature repeals the law rather than face a citizen referendum. Then they reestablish the law in 2016, which has led to all the litigation that and that culminated in the Ninth Circuit ruling. So you hinted at concerns that the ballots may have been tampered with or ballots may have been disposed of. Is there any evidence of any kind of, you know, fraud or widespread fraud? Well, for all the hearings that I sat through in like the mid-teens, no, there were a lot of fears and there was a belief that, well, people believe this happened, so that's a problem. But nobody ever came forward with concrete evidence that um, that these ballots had been steamed open so someone could see their, their vote. Who was all worked up over that? Was it one particular party over another? Um, yes, the the Republicans were very concerned about this. And again, going back to that 2012 action that sort of got everybody going, that was, you know, a bunch of energized groups after right after Senate Bill 1070 and after the Pierce recall. There was also uh, an important Supreme Court case in in that era, Andrew. Tell us about the uh, the Supreme Court case. Yeah, so this is often called Shelby you know, v. Holder, right? This is basically struck down or, or tore apart a lot of the Voting Rights Act, specifically the portion that required states with a history of uh, suppressing votes in minority communities or seeking to disenfranchise voters from communities of color. It struck down the requirement that those states have to get approval from the federal government to make substantial changes to election policy. Arizona was one of those states that for years needed the Department of Justice to sign off on, for example, banning ballot collection. But now that the Supreme Court had struck down that requirement, the state was free to make changes like this by, for example, implementing this ban or, or, or changing a, any number of other policies. Okay, so that's Mary Jo talked about what had happened before. Tell us a bit about what's happening now. One case in North Carolina that the court pointed to when some judges argued that we should uphold the ban in Arizona that was ironically a Republican who'd been using ballot collection to uh, fraudulently try and swing an election. Uh, but here in Arizona, no, there's been no indication of anything like that. Who does ballot harvesting mostly affect and how does it affect them? Well, it depends on where you're coming from. If you um, if you oppose the notion of this and say, there's, it's perfectly fine for me to take my neighbor's ballot back to the polls. After all, it's in a sealed envelope. This could, um, a ban on this could affect people who are shut-ins, uh, perhaps people who are just running around. They're so busy that they can't find time in their schedule to drop their ballot off um, at a poll on election day. Um, looking at it from the other end, what it affects, according to the proponents of ballot harvesting, is it affects democracy and the whole one man, one vote. They remain very fearful that this is a way to, to uh, rig, rig votes or, in some cases, to suppress them. What about folks in rural Arizona? Have you heard of people basically being disenfranchised because of this law? Madam Chair. Representative Gallego, uh, I, I've definitely seen seen the barriers uh, increase to uh, uh, our voters on the Healer Indian community. 
Ah, uh, yes. And I think that came up in the federal litigation as well. Think about Arizona's Indian reservations. You know, they're, they're vast. People get most of their mail through communal mailboxes or not delivered to their home. Um, getting back to a post office to mail off your ballot is often a very long trek. So ballot collection could be a very, you know, handy service for voters, um, especially in remote parts of Arizona. Arizona has a history of failing to protect the right to vote for Native Americans. Although Native Americans gained the right to vote in 1924, it was not until 1948 that Native Americans gained the franchise in Arizona. And still, for years, the Native American community continued to face discriminatory poll taxes, literacy tests, and other forms of disenfranchisement in Arizona. Let's talk about the um, folks who show up uh, with these ballots. These are the ballots, Andrew, that um, when it comes to tallying uh, voter, voting, uh, these are the last ballots counted, correct? These are the last ballots counted, and now as we've seen, these ballots can make a difference too. I think that's really what brought this into the fore, is that people were using ballot collection to great effect, to reach voters, to reach people who might not otherwise have participated. And these were groups that promoted Democrats oftentimes, and these were voters who tended to vote Democrat oftentimes. And so it caught a lot of politicians' attention when you saw, you know, all of the you know election night results swung seemingly at the last minute by these last ballots that came in that were dropped off uh, oftentimes, you know, in bulk. And I think that's what got people's attention. The ballots that are counted at the end tend to be lopsided for Democrats. This is a fact that was not lost on President Trump as we were counting those last ballots in the 2018 Senate race between Kirsten Sinema and Martha McSally. So if you'll recall, President Trump said in a news conference and online that ballots were just magically appearing over here in Arizona and they were therefore somehow fraudulently delivering a win to Democrat Kirsten Cinema over Martha McSally. There's a lot of crooked stuff going on, but it is interesting. It always seems to go the way of the Democrats. Now in Arizona, all of a sudden, out of the wilderness, they find a lot of votes, and she's the other candidate is just winning by a hair. That is one very big misconception about how Arizona votes very mechanically. What are some other misconceptions about ballot collecting or ballot harvesting? Uh, one that I picked up from the testimony at the legislature, people would say, well, you can, people can get these and they, they get the ballot envelope and then they steam it open with an iron and pull out the ballot. And if they don't agree with the way it's marked, they just discard it. Again, no evidence of that. Um, I will say in a couple years ago, we uh, we at the Republic took a sealed ballot envelope, held it up to the light. And depending on the way the ballot was folded, you could see how the arrow was connected on one, one race. Um, so... I don't know. I suppose you know that would be another method that people could use. But again, we've seen no evidence of these uh, these ballots being discarded, dumped in the dumpsters, left in the river bottom. And Mary Jo, you became aware of a very specific example involving former Secretary of State Michelle Reagan. Reagan in 2016 addressed the Conservative Political Action Committee and was sort of her debut in national Republican circles and talked about the evils of ballot harvesting. 
A month later, when Arizona was having its presidential preference election, as Secretary of State, she offered to go up to the governor's office and collect people's ballots and take them to the polls to be counted, um, sort of contradicting the point she had made just a month earlier. So she was harvesting ballots. She was. She said that it was her part of her duty as Secretary of State to accept ballots and to collect them. But I didn't see anything in the law that um, if she could do that, that said why others could not. Andrew, what about in the court documents? They kept going back and forth on there being no points of real evidence that this was even occurring, right? That's right. The majority on the court came back to this again and again. They called this really a a, uh, a kind of a, a fear campaign. They described it more as being about politics, the arguments against this being about politics than anything that was actually happening. Okay, so let's bring it to the current moment. How could ballot harvesting shape the 2020 election cycle? Well, I mean, I, like we talked about, this was something that groups used to great effect. Uh, people who wanted to, campaigns that wanted to reach voters who may not otherwise participate, who wanted to reach often Democratic-leaning voters who often wouldn't participate. This was used to great effect. And so this could be really important, again, to campaigns as they ramp up their get-out-the-vote efforts this year when some of these elections are going to be really tight. It is going to come down, again, to those last ballots that are counted. So this could be really important if it's, you know, confirmed that this is legal again, right? Uh, but like I said, it is going to be challenged. I think you're going to continue to have a debate about this. Okay, so just to be clear on the legal side of this, it is still not allowed for voters to collect their neighbor's ballots or their friend's ballots and then take them into the polling place. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has granted uh, Attorney General Mark Brnovich's request for a stay on this case. That means that the state's ban on ballot collecting remains intact. And as we said earlier, this case is likely going to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. So this ban does not affect caregivers or family members. So if you want to take your parents' ballots in or if you're caring for an elderly uh, parent or a grandparent, you can still take those ballots in. So to be clear, this has been this is part of an effort the legislature's had for some time that has the effect of suppressing vote uh, voting by some people who tend to vote Democratic in particular. Are there other efforts in the legislature percolating through right now that would have a similar effect or from Democrats trying to suppress Republicans? It's a war of inches, right? I think legislators are trying to find each of these little rules, each of these little laws that they can change here and change there that might affect a few voters over there and a few voters over here because, again, they know how close these races are going to be. So Senator Michelle Eugenti Rita, a Republican from Scottsdale, she is proposing to tighten the rules on dropping off ballots at polling places on election day. You know, that's your own mail ballot, right? Uh, Representative Bob Thorpe, a Republican from Flagstaff, has proposed actually uh, banning college students from listing their dormitory addresses when they register to vote, saying if you live in a dorm, you got to register someone else, somewhere else. Obviously, that's going to affect you know younger voters who tend to lean Democratic voting in a Republican district like his. So yeah, I think you could expect to see a lot of policies like that through this legislative session, just little tweaks here and there to change how and where and who can vote. 
All right, you guys, thank you so much for coming on. We'll be following your coverage on this issue. It's going to be important uh, well after 2020. Where can readers find you on Twitter? You can find me at Mary J. Pitzel, P-I-T-Z-L. And I'm Andrew B. Oxford. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. Ron, this can be a super complex and boring issue to a lot of people, but it's one that is really important. And it's been so interesting to watch this thing from fruition to not quite the end, but to see it debated in the courts and and, and ruled on. Why is this such a big deal to voters? Why is this something that they should be paying attention to? Well, let me try and simplify it using colors. We used to be a red state, and today <laughs> we are a purple state. Look, I, I don't think you have to go much farther than that. As this state becomes more competitive politically, as Andrew put it, you know, every last vote is going to be fought over. It is a game of inches. Um, Democrats are making gains. They are more present throughout uh, from registration down to actual voting. And you're going to see people who are holding on to power doing what they can to try and keep it that way. And I suspect we are going to see those efforts step up with measures that might not go so far as to ban entire campuses filled with university kids from being able to vote, but certainly will go after uh, some of these um, laws or proposals around the edges. And ultimately, they do add up to tens of thousands of votes that could you know, not be counted because of Republicans' efforts at the state house. That's right. And in, in a state where elections are now close, re- reasonably often, this could be decisive. Well, gaggle listeners, that's all for today. While we still have you, please don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget, and I'm at Ronald J Hansen, and that's H A N S E N. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Seeley and edited by Maritza Dominguez with oversight from Katie O'Connell. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week. 